This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Doing well. We're inching our way towards the holidays here. We're yeah. we're headed out of town for the holidays, so inching our way towards it means planning to be out of town, and uh, we're now trying somewhat in a scrambled mode to find people to take care of our dogs because the person that we thought was going to take care of the dogs isn't probably not able to do it so Ooh, that's yeah. tough that's tough so i just bring the whole the whole zoo with me they just you you, you invite me you invite my husband you get three dogs cats are fine they can stay here just give them a big bowl of food and water they're okay but the dogs you get all the dogs with you i would love to do that but the person whose house i am renting says that that is not an appropriate course of action <laughs> so i'll follow the rules but speaking of not following the rules, I had a very interesting weekend because somebody apparently knows my phone number and address and possibly has created a fake uh, ID with my phone number and address on it. And they went around to three different T-Mobile stores over the weekend and racked up over $5,000 <gasps> worth of iPhone purchases on my account. So oh, I spent man. a considerable amount of time trying to unwind those transactions. Oh no, yeah. that's awful. And it's it was your season. birthday weekend, Brent. I know. Ah. No one was getting you $5,000 worth of new phones, huh? No, <laughs> I didn't get a new phone out of it. <laughs> oh, geez. So were you able to resolve it at least and kind of get, get things settled somewhat? I believe so, yes. The process is not, well, the process is corporate. That's probably mm -hmm. the best way to describe it. And so it's sort of like, we'll make a report. And then in 48 hours, we'll get back to you about the report. And in the meantime, they're supposed to, they have some sort of notice, I guess, or statement on our account. So presumably with this statement, if somebody goes into another store and they open up our account, they might see that there's this issue. Who knows? Actually, I haven't, I haven't looked today uh, lately. But literally, while I was on the phone with uh, T-Mobile trying to get this thing locked down, they opened up another two, or they bought another two uh, iPhones. Jeez. It was like every every hour, it was another two iPhones for $2,000 showing, or roughly $2,000 showing up on my account. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Doesn't someone think at a certain point, like, how many iPhones does this person need? I mean, I guess it's it's the holiday season, so maybe they're buying iPhones for all 20 of their family members, <laughs> I guess. But, man, that's yeah. Ugh. You would think. I, all I can say is T-Mobile really believes that I am made of money. <laughs> yeah. And you want all the new iPhones and all they of them. They let me... They lent me $5,000 credit like it was nothing. Jeez, man. 
Well, hey, that answers my question. So I've been wanting to get the new iPhone, and I mm-hmm. never knew if it, they would be in stock because of the, the chip shortage and everything <laughs> still. But apparently, if you can get your hand on $5,000 worth of iPhones in a couple-hour period, they're they're in stock somewhere. They do exist somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I had a few. <laughs> yeah. I had a few. Man. Well, hopefully it gets all resolved and no more iPhone purchases. Yes. Hopefully so. Yeah. If the perpetrator of this crime is listening, please don't do that anymore. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. <laughs> Mix it up. Get some, get some yeah, like AirPod Pro, you know, get, get something else at least. Come on. A MacBook while you're at it. Your next mark, the name is Rachel Sass. If you need the number, <laughs> just contact me. I know you've got my number, so I'll hook you up. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to start seeing you yeah, MacBook, iPad, <laughs> AirPods. Like, oh, dang it. I said too much today already. All right. <laughs> but I think we got it all straightened out. So good. Good. Well, no more. No more unless it's a present for you. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of straightening things out, uh, today we're going to talk about what is going on in Washington. And the person who's going to straight, straighten us all out on this is our good friend, John Strohmeyer. John, oh, thank no. thanks. <laughs> that, that's a tall order. <laughs> no, that, no, no. I thought that was the deal, John. I shall do my best. All right. Well, we, we're relying on you. Uh, John, for anybody who doesn't know, is an estate plan, a very good estate planning lawyer in Houston, Texas, uh, somebody that we've we've actually worked with. It's not always true of guests uh, that we bring on the podcast, but we've actually worked with John, and John does good work. So we appreciate you joining us. Thank you. I, I enjoy being everybody's friend in Texas. Uh, you know, <laughs> before we got started, you know, going to heckling is one of my favorite things to do. I usually come back with, oh, I met somebody from a new state who didn't know anybody in Texas, and you know, that's what I'm here to do. That's how I feel whenever I go to any sort of national conference. I'm almost always the only or like one of two or three people from my state. I'm almost almost inevitable that I'm going to be the lone representative of my entire state. And I come, you know, I come home and I'm like, ah, oh, now now they only know me. Yeah, perfect. Your Everyone else is dead to them. As far as I'm concerned, the entire state of Texas only has one estate planning lawyer in it. It's me. And it yeah. Just, yeah, the rest were outlawed. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there used to be two. Uh, you probably know him. Nolan. He Lillet. introduced us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So Nolan used to work at my firm. Then he moved to Houston. Then he joined Northern Trust. So uh, there used to be two. Now there's only one because he's he's no longer a practicing lawyer. No, he hung up his spurs years ago. He told me we ran into each other at an Astros game, and he told me there. And I was like, it's great. Perfect. Need friends on the inside at Northern. Exactly. Our, our good, the good people, the good people at Northern Trust. Yeah. So enough gossip. All right. Well, we've, uh, we've been watching the news over, over the weekend. But uh, for anybody who's been living under a rock, maybe uh, if you could just explain what happens. The good news is, and I think it was when you and I talked a few months ago, the answer was don't hit the panic button. We don't have anything. You were big on saying if you've got trusts, fund them now. And I think that was a good answer. But build back better is not going to be a 2021 reality. It's looking like Mansion is not even going to allow it to be a 2022 reality. And really all the tax planning got stripped out of it a few months ago or whatever after we had all of these massive, you know, title shifts in how grantor trusts were going to work, 
life insurance was going to be fully subject to a state tax no matter what you did. Thankfully, our friends in the insurance lobby, you know, they $16 trillion is a lot of money that they make every year. Their lobbyists made a few phone calls. Uh, my dog said a few things. And all of that nonsense came out. And I'll say, look, there were a few things in there that I think were probably not bad ideas. You know, bring, bringing the exemption down to what it's going to be in 2026, getting that done sooner just is going to make things easier for everybody. The, nobody understands what's going on other than us clients certainly don't get it. They think, oh, you know, it's it's $11 million. It's $11 bajillion from now until forever. I'm like, no, it's it's only this. And I mean, what I tell clients is, unless you're planning on dying before 2026, you have six and a half million dollars. Let's talk about it that way. And I, I actually liked that idea as long as we get some heads up. You know, if, if you've got the ability to use some of that bonus exemption, you should have a chance to do that. The other thing I kept telling people all year long, Bernie Sanders introduced his bill in January, and as much, you know, pearl clutching as we had about uh, retroactivity for estate tax, he did not make it retroactive. Nobody suggested it. It was all in our heads. So, you know, like I put this down as we're 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 never we're our own worst enemies. That might be an even better way of putting it in terms of how chicken little we can make this. So, yes, the rules are going to change. Eventually, the exemption is going to come down. It's not happening anytime soon. Grantor trusts are not going away anytime soon. Keep planning as normal. 2026 is still our deadline. Yeah, and it's it's sort of business as usual, right? It's the the same situation that has existed since January 1, 2018 continues to persist. And as you point out, very rightly, it kind of has it kind of has divided the world into pieces. And so certainly anybody who has over the existing estate tax exemption, they have a problem potentially like a like an actual estate tax problem that they should be addressing. So next year, we'll say roughly rounding the way that Congress ought to round. Uh, each person has $12 million of exemption. Uh, so 24 million in a married couple. That's a lot, but there are people in the world that have that kind of wealth. And so those people, they have that issue. Then you got to project yourself into 2026 when the exemption is going to be 5 million per person index for inflation, whatever that's going to be. Uh, so say roughly 12 in a married couple, six apiece. Well, anybody between then six and uh, 12, they also have a potential problem. And then you kind of have the last group of people who are below the six and you're looking those people in the eyeball saying, are your assets going to appreciate in value? And usually the answer is yes, because that's what they tend to do. And so even if you're under six, if you project that out over five years, you could be over six by 2026. And so maybe there's a little bit planning that has to do. And it's been that way since 2018. And I have felt uh, that it it has been the hardest period to plan. Everything before that was actually a lot easier and the world was divided much nicer. But since 2018, I just feel like it's been really, really difficult to plan because there's so many different scenarios that people could fit into and different risks that apply to different people in different ways. And it's almost impossible to know what the perfect exact right answer is. Yeah, the uh, the phrase I find myself telling clients all the time, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. We can come up with a few answers you're going to have to accept, and I find clients are actually willing to accept a certain amount of estate tax risk, risk right now. And they're fine. You know, like if you're close, you know, a single person who's at 
12 million right now, yes, in five years, you're going to have some estate tax problems. We can start doing some things now. Like, hey, do you want to want to fit some charitable gifts in there? You might want to. Uh, do you want to start making more annual exclusion gifts? This is as good a time as any. Let's start thinking about it because we'll get there. And even if it does get to where you're you're at 15 and when the exemption is six, yes, you've got a bigger problem. That's also solvable in a few ways. And, you know, it, it's the, the conundrum of all planning. Sure, we're we're planning the best with, you know, my crystal ball is broken, not only for tax, <laughs> the tax future, but also who knows what's going to happen to every client's family. I don't know, you know, who's going to come in, who's going to go out. Are they going to have more kids or you know, things are going to change and just, just bet on it, dear clients. Like we, I want to make this as easy as possible for you, but at the same time, I, you know, the, I have one client I love has been a wonderful client for multiple years and keeps engaging in the, well, we're almost done. Right. And I regret to say, no, we are not almost done. It is, there will always be something we may do less. There are trusts set up. I don't, I don't envision this client having really any more major changes, but there are always going to be tweaks that the children are going to get out of college. They're probably going to be fine, but at the same time, We've got to think about all sorts of things. So, you know, it's the the planning for, you know, as you said, that 25 million is a lot of money. The clients with five to 50, there are a lot of interesting problems that aren't just taxes that are fun to solve there because it's it's more interesting than how can we, you know, oh, we can set up rolling grats again. Well, hey, I mean, I, I love myself a rolling grab, just like the next person, of course, but you're completely right. Yeah, who doesn't? But you're completely right. And it's it's interesting you point that out because um, while we were being threatened with these tremendous, somewhat earth shattering changes uh, and we were trying to get things done quickly, the thing that made getting transactions completed uh, difficult was not the structure. The structure that we can do like that we know like we know what the right structure is typically as a general matter the thing that made it very difficult were all the conversations you had to have about well what about this child and what about this child and what about this asset and what about you know the what about things that have nothing to do with tax they're just sort of family things or they're sort of asset related things that that are they're they're tax neutral they sort of just exist and all of those problems just exist all the time it's just when you actually sit down to try to plan for them, uh, they become the thing that drives the bus. And I, that's not going to cease just because the taxes aren't going to change next year. And to your point, Brent, too, and, you know, with a lot of our clients and, you know, we did a lot of transactions in 2020, you know, ahead of anything that was coming our way this year. And to your point, John, right, a lot of the clients say, oh, we're done, right? We did these awesome big transactions. We made all these huge gifts. And then here comes 2021. And nope, we're going to do a few more gifts because, you know, things have changed since then. You know, some of our clients are getting married this year. Okay, well, now that changes a lot of things. All right, we've got another spouse involved here. There could be a prenup involved. And so, yeah, all the different family matters that really come into it, that can change the game plan um, not just from the tax perspective, but we just need to, you know, revisit what we've done and see if we need to make some changes for the future. Right. It's just there's the mess that can come from anybody passing 
the variations on what that mess looks like. I have attempted multiple times to just come up with not even an exhaustive list, but a mostly comprehensive. Here are the, you know, even the 80 ways, the 80 things we need to be thinking about, if only to help highlight here are issues, my my wonderful staff. These are things you should have open in your mind. You know, be listening for this. And it gets overwhelming. You're like, oh my God, I, I don't want to write all these things down. There's so many of them. And the only way you, I've got a first year associate who's working for me. She did before law school, she worked as a paralegal and an elder law and estate planning firm. She knows what she's doing in a lot of ways. And at the same time, the kind of teaching recognition of how this could change what we need to think about. It's going to take years, even, you know, even the best circumstances. And that's the deal. Yep. That is the deal. Well, uh, so let's talk just a little bit about the deal that, that uh, isn't going to happen. And uh, Sunday, Joe Manchin went on Fox news and basically declared that he was against the build back better act. Uh, There was a bit of a world of words back and forth between him and the White House. Uh, he he has since, I think, walked back to his comments just a little bit and indicated that he was really aggrieved by the the actions of President Biden's staff rather than President Biden himself. Kind of indicates that he's still open to talking with Biden. Biden has indicated the same thing. Um, but I want to read you a couple of quotes here. Uh, John, and just kind of get you your uh, your hot take on these. So this was this was from Monday. Uh, I guess that's today. Today is Monday. Jeez, my the the week has already gone in my mind. Um, so Mansion was uh, apparently is is in favor of uh, changing some of the tax changes from the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act or the Trump uh, tax tax plan. So. This is a quote from Manchin, quote, we have one chance at this, okay? We have a chance to fix the tax code that makes it fair and equitable. If you want to talk about income inequality, the reason there's income inequality is because the tax code allows it to happen. We have a chance to fix it. That was the only thing all the Democrats voted against in 2017, close quote. Oh, my God. Uh, What do you think he's talking about? Because I, uh, what part of the current bill do you think he's talking about? talking about that addresses this oh my god i mean i I would i'm struggling for words right now because i don't even know what the one change could be like even if (laughs) even you know like the easy answer is oh they doubled the exemption and indexed it for inflation to infinity but folks with 10 million dollars even if you're with 20 million are they really you know the problem and there's also the well even if we we put in the 50 million dollar tax on on everything every year that uh, Warren has proposed and will never go anywhere because it's a complete administrative nightmare every time it's been tried. It's unrealistic to think, and I don't want to devolve into just sheer politics and economics, but you know, if we just took everything from from the 1%, we fund government for, for six months or whatever. And even if I'm wrong on that or the numbers are off, they're not far off. And so it just kind of the, the laughable nature of, oh, you know, it was that tax act that got us in problem. Come on, get real. Yeah, n- never mind the uh, many other decades uh, of tax policy that might have contributed a little bit. A little bit. I, I, yeah, I, I saw that quote or I, I read that quote uh, in an article and I thought, 
I'm really not sure what he's talking about. I'm not sure what portion of the bill does the thing that he is suggesting is so bad, other than perhaps inching up the top income tax rate. Yeah. Maybe possibly that's what he's he's getting at. But there, I look. I don't remember everything, but I do remember January of 2018 sitting down and reading through the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and it was 900 pages long. Right. So I'm quite certain they're not going to change all 900 pages. Correct. Just going to throw that out there. Probably. All right. Let me give you another one. This is a quote. Apparently, uh, Manchin then went on local radio to talk about his displeasure with the White House staff. Okay. He says, quote, they figured surely to God we can move one person. We surely can badger and beat one person up. Surely we can get enough protesters to make that person uncomfortable enough that they'll just say, okay, I'll vote, I'll vote for anything. Well, guess what? I'm from West Virginia. I'm not from where they're from. And they can just beat the living crap out of people and think they'll be submissive, period. <laughs> Close uh, I mean, that's pretty great. And for whatever, you know, politics all aside, he's been real clear about what he wants and what he's willing to do. You, I mean, there, he's probably standing up and taking arrows for other people who don't necessarily want to say this out loud. The reality is he's not a gimme vote because he's about the only person who will caucus with the Dems from West Virginia. And the moment, you know, who knows if he even gets reelected and I think he's up in 2024. You know, heck, he may not have any power at this time. Well, yeah, at this time next year, we will have already been through the the midterms, he may already be in the minority in the Senate, depending on how things go. You know, like I'm not, I'm not the grand political strategist. I, you know, there's a certain amount of, he's got to stand up because he, I guess, thinks he's going to get reelected or has a chance of it in, in a few years. But well, now I'm just kind of blubbering because as I well, well, reintegrate everything I've learned about uh, politics in the last year. Yeah, well, it's not a lot, apparently. That's That's no, been no, my no, experience. No. I didn't learn a whole lot about politics other than it's infuriating to watch. But uh, the uh, and, and I should I should say that is I am completely agnostic to what they come up with in the tax changes because mm -hmm. both sides change the tax code. It's not like only one does it. And guess what happens? Regardless of who changes the tax code, I have to figure out what it says anyways and then try to implement it. So it doesn't really matter who does what. Lawyers uh, thrive in chaos. That's exactly right. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but the interesting thing to your point is that I, I think he has been clear on his red lines in the sense that his red line appears to, to be very tied to the overall price tag of the bill. And that the only reason that, say, the child tax credit uh, became a sticking point with him was it must have been abundantly clear that all of the other Democrats were intent on extending the child tax tax credit beyond one year or the one year that was in the bill. And he did not want to commit to doing that because of the overall price tag. Apparently, from what I'm reading, that that's the issue. And that's the thing maybe they were trying to beat over his head. I mean, they were trying to beat a bunch of things over his head and he's through, <laughs> you know, it like. It's a big head. He's got it's a big, a big head. head. But, you know, like the, the amount of money flowing out everywhere, it's just insane. And even the child tax credit wasn't responsible for all of it. No, I think there were a few other things. I I always um, 
I always think if they really wanted to find money, they could just sort of page through the existing legislation. They might be able to shake out, you know, a few dollars uh, yeah. with what they've already got in there. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think the child tax credit was exactly the issue, but I, it must be that they they have essentially agreed on enough of the bill that that's the, I mean, that and salt were really the big sticking points. Who knows? <laughs> I'm not sure we're ever, ever going to get anything. You know, again, what I was telling telling clients as far back as when it got introduced, this is not a panic button. We don't have legislation that has even passed, well, one of the uh, one of the chambers, much less both, and is on its way. Yeah, I, you know, like for right now, we're still cruising towards 2026, and whatever that, you know, what that looks like for clients then. Yeah, we we uh, we sent out letters to all of our. Uh, our clients and we we included in in the letter something to the effect of um, there's no guarantee any of this will become law and it's all still subject to the negotiation process and who knows what the final bill would look like we don't know we have no idea yeah but and this it, is what's in there and this is what you should be considering given what's in there and then we had many 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 conversations about the bill thereafter and. We've had many conversations about the bill since they stripped out all of the estate tax stuff. It's just been like four months of constantly talking about this bill. Yeah. And, you know, again, don't take a chance that you're going to be upset with me about taking in a few years. You know, if, if you don't want the kids to have that much, if you're going to be sad that I, you know, I'm always very upfront with clients. My job, you know, my first job is for you to not be mad at me because I told you to give away too much. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair assessment of your role, I think. All yeah, right, let it, me throw let me throw another quote at you here. Let me throw one more quote at you. So this is uh uh Senator Pramila Jayapal. I think I'm saying is that is that how she pronounces her name? I have no idea. I think that's right. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. At any rate, uh this is what she said after uh the whole mansion is not gonna back the Build Back Better Act thing came out. She said uh that he, quote, went back on his word. That lack of integrity is stunning in a town where people say the only thing that you have is your word. According to the White House's statement yesterday and my own conversations with the White House yesterday, it is abundantly clear that we cannot trust what Senator Manchin says. The senator called me this morning. I took his call. And there is nothing I have said here that I didn't say to him. We cannot hang the futures of millions of Americans on the word of one man who represents a state that has a tiny percentage of the country's entire population. Close quote. Elect more senators, Democrats. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, wow, that's that's some friendly fire. Yeah, uh, you know, politics is fun, but at the same time, you know, if you trust anybody's word out of either party, you're. You're getting what you deserve. And there's a what the the scorpion and the frog parable. Yeah, apparently there is a there's a misunderstanding of what the word committed to means as it relates to the framework, because the White House and the, the progressive caucus are saying that he told them that he was committed to this framework back in October. Uh, he is now saying he never gave that commitment. Uh, so it's hard to know what exactly was discussed because we weren't in the room so we don't know but no clearly though there's a misunderstanding of what exactly was committed to maybe he was committing to talk about this framework and negotiate on the framework and they were thinking he was committing to everything that was in the framework who, who, knows? Mean, who knows yeah 
to, so, to your to your point, Brian, I feel like Senator Joe Manchin has been very upfront the whole time about the bottom line number at the end of the day, right? He's very clear about that 1.5 trillion. And so he's committed, I think, to something around 1.5 million, right? And an overall framework that, again, who knows what all is in there, but something that, that keeps it under that bottom line. But whether or not, you know, it was this exact framework that was going through the House that, you know, the 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 first proposal we saw and the second proposal we saw, that's, you know, all behind closed doors. But I would think that he's committed to doing something. And so I don't I feel like, you know, the conversation in 2022 is still going to be there, whether or not something actually does get done and signed. That's a that's a different question. Yeah, and there's a there's a little bit of a question about well, could they do something in 2022 and make it retroactive? Uh, I I think most of us would agree legally the answer is yes, but um, I don't know that there's any precedent for making it retroactive to a prior tax year. So I think 2021 is going to be safe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Unless I'm misunderstanding the precedent. I mean, the the two big data points that we have on retroactivity. You know, one I already mentioned, Bernie Sanders didn't even ask for retroactivity. He was going to give us the I mean, he gave us 11 months notice on his on his bill. And then think back to 2010. Sure, they brought the estate tax back in, but they gave you the option of no estate tax, no basis step up or estate tax with basis bump. And you know, I was practicing back then. I Nobody let me alone in the room with clients because that was my first year of practice. But we were having that conversation with clients about, well, it will cost you this or it will cost, you know, it'll cost you this now or it will cost you this in the future. No trade-offs or uh, no solutions, only trade-offs. Which one do you think? Yeah. It, yeah, that's a that's a great example. I think 2010 is uh, it is one of those scenarios where they did make some changes retroactive to the prior year. Um, but that was the estate tax and the estate tax is a little bit different from the income tax because it's not tied to a calendar year necessarily. And to your point, they, they did it in this semi fair way where they said, all right, we'll make it retroactive, but you can elect out of it if you want and use the right. old rule so that, you know, it was sort of like retroactive in part, or it was like retroactive electively. You could do it to yourself. Not, it wasn't them doing it to you. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm, um, not very good at predicting these things. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it, it's a, it's a curious situation. Honestly, though, um, anytime you have a party that controls all of the houses of the federal government and the executive, the risk of change is there. It just is always there. They could always just decide all of a sudden think that something is a great idea and it pulls well and, you know, the focus groups like it and they go for it. So uh, that risk is always there. True. One of, uh, but to your point, I think there are two things that are just going to exist in into next year, and it's this is pretty clear. One is is to your point, this is just sort of the the reality of the fact that the exemptions are going to go down in 2026. So 2022, you've got four years, uh, really three years, because it it's at the end of 2025 that the the exemption will drop. So you know you've got this say three to four year window. You got to do something. Believe it or not, that's actually not that long of a time if you're going to do substantial transactions. You actually want to have quite a bit of lead time to do those transactions. So it's kind of starting to get into the 
the sweet spot for doing those transactions, I think. Right. I mean, the the things that we're looking at for tax-motivated gifting right now, these are people, you know, if you're going to make a gift before 2026, you're looking at making like a, you want to get into that bonus exemption, which means you're making a $6 million plus gift. Otherwise, you know, people, people worry about their ability to fly first class. That, Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Nobody wants to give up lifestyle to no, uh, to no. enrich their kids and grandkids. And and so you may, you know, this is something where I've I've softened a little bit on my I don't like slats planning. It's not totally off the table. I I mean, my nervousness is I don't like getting cute with slats. You can do one. Yeah. And then you can do a different gifting trust that does not include your other spouse. But, you know, again, it, I would bet, if anything, we will get more funding for the IRS. The IRS is eventually going to come after all of the aggressive slats. The, oh, well, we signed these on different, you know, different, entirely different weeks. We used a different font. These are different trusts that we happen to talk about at the same time in the same office with the same planner. Like, you're, that is very easy for somebody who is not on, does not have their professional license on the line to recommend. Yeah, uh, they mm-hmm. all all the sorts of things that you've probably heard where an outside advisor has read an article somewhere that oh this is great you know you need to set up a charitable lead annuity trust client comes in you know I had one earlier this year where a client you know married couple with about eighteen million dollars the financial advisors wanted them to set up a clat and they had some charitable motivations but not enough to justify that level of gifting because it's not a, oh, you know, we're going to spend, you know, whatever tens of thousands of dollars setting the trust up and then make a $50,000 gift. Like they they weren't making that big of a gift anyway. So it, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think there's to, to your point with slats. I mean, we're, we're similar. We don't like to be overly aggressive on slats and it, at one point in my career, I suggested to a, a lawyer who was in-house at a bank in their private wealth group that I wouldn't be comfortable doing the slat unless we had um, different terms and different beneficiaries and independent trustees. And I was told by that lawyer, oh, you're very conservative. And I was like, I think I'm just smart. <laughs> I don't think that's conservative. I think that's just I'm good planning. with my license. You're right. <laughs> I don't Guilty. know what about that was conservative, but uh um but it gives you some some leeway so you can you can space out transactions and you've got a little bit of time. But it's nice. We like to have this buffer. It makes us feel good. We 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 feel nice and we go to sleep and we sleep better at night and we we see our license hanging on the wall. We're like, "Oh, you're preserved. Everything is fine here." Yep. Yeah. You know? Nothing is nothing is going to happen to you, my precious. <laughs> so uh, that feels good. The other thing that um, is going to exist, regardless, I think, uh, is the Secure Act, and we always forget about the Secure Act, but it still exists. And at least for our clients, it's like a constant nuisance. Which part? Mostly the death part. <laughs> That's the part <laughs> that we're usually concerned about. But the death part is a constant nuisance. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, the death part. I'm sorry. Yes, death is a nuisance uh, in many ways. Uh, but you know, we we um, we used to be able to do this thing called stretching uh, IRAs, and and now we can't really do it. But there's 
certain ways you might be able to do it. And then there's all sorts of creative ways that people have come up with to to manufacture the stretching. And it's just like, it's just so complicated for something that's supposed to not be so complicated. I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we have, we still don't have better answers on what happens when the minor child reaches 18 or 25 or whatever, whatever the magic age is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that w- it would be wonderful to have at least a little bit of clarity on that. You know, the, if, if only that. Yeah, we, we don't know that. We don't know, you know, what do you do? Do you get the same treatment if a trust is named as the beneficiary for the minor, ch- minor child? Does it have to be a conduit trust in order to get that treatment? Or you just automatically get that treatment? You know, there's a lot of stuff that we don't have the answer to. It would be nice to have the answer, but I'm guessing that the Department of Treasury is kind of busy with some other things right now, and they're not going to get us those answers no. in the near term. Well, I mean, you know, we we still haven't gotten formal or finalized regs on IRS form 708 and right. you know, <laughs> gifts from oh, yeah. covered expats. Right. Uh, you know, good luck on that. It, again, for somebody who wants to help people save money on taxes, I am for spending more money on the IRS so we can get the clarity on those sorts of questions where we need regs and we need people writing regs so that we know how to advise clients. Because just the, you know, like shrugging at clients of I don't know is not a great answer. And it's not and it's not even, you know, professionally it's frustrating, but it's not good for clients or, you know, any of us advising or the IRS on the other side. Yeah, it's really not. And it, it'd be nice if the IRS was properly funded. Um, not that I want my, my clients all to get audited or something, but it, it would be nice at least for them to have the resources to issue the opinions that you need to to get the guidance just so you can do the planning. Right. Well, it's been a it's it's been a hell of a year and um, uh, hopefully next year is not quite so exciting and in, in the same ways, but uh, exciting in other good ways. We, yeah, uh, I think we're I think we're in accord, though. Do you think the 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 big takeaway is sort of stay the course and just try to be smart and plan for the things that are not the tax things that you need to be planning for anyways? Absolutely. You know, it's the the taxes are important, but it's third in priority for my clients. And that's what I try and keep them in mind. Taxes are going to happen. Taxes happen because you have stuff to pay taxes with. For the most part, you know, when, when you get into the the foreign financial assets and compliance, you, you may have some phantom tax. Uh, but for the most part, let's figure out what the real plan is. Let the taxes come after yeah, tax planning come to make it make sense. The nice thing, though, you know, here we are just over 10 days left in the year. It is not another Christmas in the trenches. I am uh, just I, I don't miss those at all. There is no part of that that I miss. I will say that is one thing Congress gave us was a nice little gift to enjoy the holidays with our families this year. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, there's not many times that you can thank thank Congress, but uh, for that, uh, we can certainly thank them. Well, we, uh, John, we cannot thank you enough for taking time to to talk with us and lend your expertise. We'll include all of your contact information in the show notes, of course, so if anybody who's looking looking around for their guy, that lawyer in Texas, uh, they can find you. Hopefully people will also realize that you do a lot of other things other than just Texas law-based things. Uh, so John's also a very great resource on federal law, federal tax law things. This is probably uh, painfully obvious from this conversation. But John, thank you very much for, for doing it. 
No, Rachel, Brett, it was a lot of fun to come back. Hey, listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.